Good morning. If you'll please turn in your Bibles to today's scripture, Romans 10, 1 through 17. And if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris. It is good to be back in the saddle with you this Today, this past Sunday, I got to represent us at South City in Richmond, a church we've been partnering with since prior to their launch and helping them uh, bring a fresh gospel witness to the Westover area between Manchester and Westover in Richmond. And um, yeah, they're doing great. So greetings from South City and thanks for your support and your belief and your interest in in taking the gospel to other places and to other people and churches planting churches. Um, we have two more Sundays. So if you're a guest with us this morning, we're in a series on multiply and, and the importance of that in our own lives from one disciple to another, uh, groups, community groups, Bible study classes, and churches planting churches like South City and others. Um, so we have two Sundays left in our multiply series. It's hard to believe. And then we'll start into Advent together. So uh, would love to invite you to join us during the Advent season, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Today I want to talk to you about finding your voice. Finding your voice individually, finding your voice at a group level that's interested in multiplying, and us finding our voice as a church uh, to multiply other churches and church planting and and bringing the gospel to those who have not yet heard it. They say it takes about four or five years for a new pastor 
to find his preaching voice, for a young pastor to find his preaching voice. I think that's probably true. One pastor marked it at like 800 sermons, something like that, seven or 800 sermons before you really find your preaching voice. That's a lot of sermons. That's a long time. I think there's something true about that, um, finding your voice. Can you imagine if we, you know, we met in the hallway and you and I were having a conversation and getting to know each other, and then we came into the worship service, and as soon as I stepped up here, I kind of flipped the switch, and I was like, I was like, Brother John, do you want to have a good marriage with Kathy? And he said, yes, Pete, I do. And I said, Brother John, do you want to have good kids? Do you want to be a good daddy? And he said, oh, Pete, yes, with all of my heart, I do. So I just broke it down like that. Some of you guys are like, you need to go through a rebranding. I like that. You fire me up a little bit. Could, but that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Everybody has a different voice. And finding your voice is not just for pastors. Finding your voice is for every single disciple of Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus is called to voice the gospel, to discover, and this is what we do in church life, by the way, shortcut on church life, we discover the gospel by rehearsing it and voicing it to each other over and over and over again, 800 times, before we really find our voice and are comfortable talking about what Jesus has done for us in a way that is significant and meaningful and life-giving to one another. And that's what the church is about. Church life is about discovering the gospel, rehearsing the gospel, and included in that is finding your own voice, finding your, the freedom with which you could express the gospel to somebody else by talking about Jesus and what he's done for you. And that's what we're after in this series, to, to help you get really comfortable speaking and voicing what Christ has done for you. He's done something for you. And there's this impulse inside of you like, I know he's given me new life and he's taught me how to forgive other people. And man, I want, I want other people to experience God's grace. You got that impulse inside of you. And yet it's hard to discover that, that voice. So what I want to do today is, is try to help you with a little more of the biblical and theological reasoning for why you want to keep acting on that impulse that's inside of you. So I want to try to give you from Romans 10, which is the classic passage on the necessity of voicing the gospel. I want to give you some reasons that might strengthen you to go, you know what? God is calling me as a disciple to voice what Jesus has done. So five things that five things we learn from Romans 10 about evangelism that I think will strengthen the discovery of your own, of your own preaching voice. Because every disciple has a preaching voice. Number one, it's necessary. Number two, willing. Number three, persuasive. Number four, patient. Number five, beautiful. Evangelism is necessary, willing, persuasive, patient, and beautiful. Let me walk you through those. Number one, evangelism is necessary. 
Now, not everybody agrees with this. What's happened often in a cultural context is that other religious groups, say Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, have gone door to door so aggressively that it's kind of turned off some people to evangelism. So some of us are suspicious about the very idea of evangelism because of that and because of other reasons. Uh, our King James Version only friend, you know, that I, that I shared with you in terms of my Starbucks encounter, there, we, we internally have given reasons to each other as to why maybe we should throttle this evangelism thing back a little bit. Like, because of, what, because of how it shouldn't be done, we're, is it really necessary? Is it, should we really practice evangelism? And yet, the heart of the Apostle Paul's argument in Romans 10 is getting the gospel to, to those who've never heard of it even more than that, of being willing to voice the gospel to those who've never heard. That is the heart of Paul's argument in Romans 10. No getting around it. Because we're all dead in trespasses and enslaved in sin, Romans 1 through 6, and under the curse of Adam, and we're all equally complicit with Adam, and we need a Savior. Because of that, it's absolutely necessary that a Savior do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so Paul's speaking this language throughout the chapter, so he says so much, it's, it's so real, it's so necessary, evangelism is so necessary, verses 9 and 10, that you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead in order to be saved. We're just talking about salvation, not even talking about passing on the good news at this point, just talking about experiencing Christian salvation. For with the heart, look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes, and with the mouth one confesses. There's two parts to this Christianity thing, two parts to becoming a Christian, two foundational elements that are necessary to saving faith. Internal belief, faith that justifies us before God, and external confession that confesses Jesus before other people. Paul says in verse 10, you gotta have those two things. You gotta have a heart that's come alive to trusting in Christ that, that will rely on God to justify you. By the way, justify, justification and justify is just a big word for how am I gonna get made perfect? A big word for how am I gonna be righteous, perfectly righteous? The only way to get righteousness that's real and lasting and deep is by faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul says in verse 10, you gotta believe in the heart and, and therefore you'll be justified and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. Those, those, he's describing the same thing just from two different angles. This is what happens when a person gets saved, when they trust Christ, because they can't save themselves. But how will people call on the Lord? Now, this is how Paul's argument unfolds, verse 14. How are they going to call on the Lord to be saved if they don't know who he is or believe in him? And then he, and then he, and he starts to build out link by link what I'm going to call the chain of necessity because the gospel is necessary. Link by link, he builds out this chain of necessity. Listen to it. How will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe if they've never heard of him? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach to them? How are they going to preach unless someone is sent? 
this, this line, this, this linkage that Paul's working. Like the gospel's necessary and people need to voice the gospel or, or other people won't be able to believe. Verse 17 ties it all together. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And if you kind of build out the logical flow of that, you say, and you can voice the word of Christ to others who have not yet heard. It's necessary. It is absolutely necessary. So I know there are things that are kind of mitigating against evangelism. I know in our culture, in our history, uh, in our denomination, or in just among, you know, among conservatives, whatever the, whatever the context is, historically, there are things we have done that have made evangelism hard, that, we're, that we have done to not make it any easier on ourselves. But don't let that keep you from your own responsibility to voice the gospel, which is necessary for people to believe. Here's the second thing. Evangelism is willing. It's marked by a willingness. People who are willing to speak, not people who have it all figured out, not people who do it perfectly well, right? Not, not people who know exactly what to say every time, but people who are just willing. Willing to go, willing to speak. He said, it sounds to me like he's talking about preachers. Well, look, look at this again, verses 14 and 15. When he says preach, when he says preach, he's not referring to Sunday sermons. When Paul says preaching here, he's not referring to, to Sunday sermons. Now, that can be applied to Sunday sermons if there's gospel announcement in that Sunday sermon, but not every Sunday sermon has gospel in it. So, he's not talking about Sunday sermons. He's talking about something much broader, much more far-reaching. He's using the word preaching here in a less technical sense. It means to proclaim or announce or simply voice the gospel, to voice the word of Christ. It was commonly, commonly used in the ancient days of the, uh, the biblical, uh, when the biblical writing was, was, was being done. It was commonly used of the town herald. The town herald would come in and he would announce because they didn't have social media. They didn't have newspapers. They didn't have social media. They didn't have Snapchat. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. So the guy would come into town and say, here's what's happening this week. And he'd just start announcing, here's what's happening. Here's the big deal for this week. And he would voice it. He was the message. Um, I mean, he was the messenger. So he became sort of the he was the messenger carrying, voicing the information. But he, he himself as a person kind of became the medium for the message. And so the, the New Testament writers picked up on that herald theme, that guy who does that, and they said that's what it's like for every disciple. Every disciple is someone who's called to voice the gospel message. Every follower of Jesus is called to preach in this, le in this less technical sense of the word preaching. Everybody preaches. You know this. Everybody preaches. You'll say this about people who are out there in the world doing their own thing. He's preaching right now. He's getting after, he's, he's telling his story, he's singing the song, he's making a case for his deal. That's the way it works. Are you willing to, are you willing, that's the question this morning, willing to voice the gospel, willing to be sent on a short-term mission trip, or on a Serve Roanoke Saturday, uh, and thank you for everybody who was involved yesterday, it was excellent, yeah, great, Great day yesterday. Really, I think, sent a strong message to those we're ministering to. It, it, 
uh, in four or five different ways. Willing to go on a short-term mission trip, serve Roanoke, or go to Blacksburg and help us plant a church in Blacksburg next year. Um, you know, it hit me. I mean, you don't think twice. Most people who are committed to hokey football don't think twice about driving down and back. I was like, what? How cool would it be? And that's great. I mean, go Hokies. Because George is out. It's over for this year. <laughs> but like, no, hear me on this. What, wouldn't it be, how cool would it be to say, I'm going to invest a year of my life driving back and forth one, Sunday, one day a week on Sundays to help plant a church and be part of this mission? Am I willing to go? Just, I'm just asking that question. Just willing to go. Give three or four hours a week to see new life come, to see the gospel expand. Are you willing to voice and give testimony to what Christ has done? Here's the third thing. Excuse me, get a little dry. It's that time of year. Evangelism is persuasive. It's persuasive. Romans 10 is not, just about, it's not just about proclamation. So if you study hard in Romans 10, what you come up with is he's not just talking about proclamation. He's talking about persuasion. He's talking about understanding, helping people to hear. Paul is saying in verse 14 and verse 16 and verse 17, some form of the word to hear or heard or need to hear. And hearing means understanding. So what Paul is saying is, I, what, what I want you to understand is, I'm not just talking about proclamation. People don't just hear the gospel and automatically believe. That's not how it works. People don't just hear it and then automatically believe. Understanding has to occur. And Paul's really interested in helping people understand the gospel. Israel, the problem, Israel's problems in, problem in Romans 10 is that they won't hear they resist hearing. They resist the understanding. So Paul's like, the gospel is about helping people hear and understand and believe. So we don't, so we don't evangelize like the world does. We don't evangelize like the world does. The world just keeps saying it over and over again. I was in my shop working this past Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night, and I was in there for about an hour. I was doing some exercise, doing some cleanup, and had Steve FM rocking the 80s with Steve FM on the radio, and, you know, and it's, it's got commercials, right, because it's just old-fashioned radio, and it's got commercials, and about, I don't know, every four or five minutes, it seemed like it was just relentless. This commercial, same commercial came on, spa blowout, the spa blowout at the Salem Civic Center. There's going to be a spa blowout. And, what I, and, and in that one commercial, which I heard repeatedly throughout the hour, in one commercial, you would hear Salem Civic Center, Salem Civic Center, Salem Civic Center, like literally over and over again. Until I, like, I, my mind was just full of Salem Civic Center. Like I woke up in the middle of the night. Okay, I'll buy a spa. I don't, we don't need one. I don't even want one. But I'll buy a spa just to get you out of my head. Salem Civic Center. I think sometimes what people are hearing from us is this. Go to church. Go to church. Go to church. You got to come to church. Come to church. Like, just beating on people. 
What do you do when you hear an advertisement like that? You turn off the radio and you commit to never going to that place. Because we don't evangelize like the world evangelizes. That's how the world evangelizes. And it's not compelling. We're going to beat them up until they submit and buy our product. Like, that's not the persuasion of the gospel. That's not what Paul's doing. That's not what Paul's doing here in Romans 10. It's not what he did in Acts 17. Like last Sunday, uh, as Vince was teaching us, Paul did not stroll into Athens uh, just, just berating people with what they need to do. He said, I see that you, I see that you, have an altar to an unknown God. I see that you're very religious. I perceive that you're religious. That's not a bad thing. We're, we're religious creatures. You've named one of them this unknown God. Can I tell you who I think that is? I want to introduce you to the true and living God. And he went through that door to a powerful, compelling case for the true and living God, which is very persuasive. He does that exact same thing in Romans 10. You start to detect a pattern in the Apostle Paul. Go back to verse 1, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 2 of chapter 10. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, his own people, Israel, who has rejected the Christ. Says, I, I want to commend you for something. You long for righteousness. You, you have a zeal for God. But you're missing something. You have not realized, like I took so long to realize, Paul says, that I cannot bring my own righteousness to the table and please God. Paul is saying we need God's righteousness his example here is so instructive. And I think it's instructive because everybody out in the world right now, right, we're all, everybody's doing this. Everybody's trying to solve the problem. And it's an expression of morality. It's an expression of rightness. It's an expression of righteousness. So what's happening out in the world right now is you're getting all sorts of open doors about how to live, how to live rightly and beautifully and perfectly. And so it might not be the way you want it to come out, right? But, but if somebody is, is, is passionately advocating for climate change or the sustainability of the earth or solving a world hunger problem or being passionate about racial justice, what those things are in many ways good things, they're doorways into this long, this just ongoing conversation about righteousness and what's, what's a good and just and right way to live. I mean, those, those, they're just all over the place. Those entry points are everywhere. And as Vince said last week, instead of being mad at the world and coming in and flipping over tables, what if we took Paul's approach and went in listening and went in looking here first, and then in conversation. I see that you're a very religious people. I see that, that, that you desire righteousness. I bear witness to that they have a zeal for God. I, I see this. If you want a little help 
Um, I, was supposed to com- I was supposed to promo this a week or two ago, and I forgot, so forgive me for that. But we have a book available out here in the commons. It's not a big book, small, $5, something like that. Really helpful book on personal evangelism to get your voice, to find your, your voice. Uh, if you want to do a follow-up on the series, I would encourage you to pick one of these up. It's a really great resource. He's got a section on persuasion and the beauty of that and the goodness of persuading, not just Salem Civic Center, Salem Civic Center. I think the world is tired of hearing the commercial, but they're not tired of thinking about ways to learn righteousness and morality and what is good and right. So let's go through those doors. Number four. Here's the next thing. This is so immensely practical. Be patient. It is also patient. Evangelism is patient. Now, I did not see this coming. I I, I think I was in a hurry or something. (laughs) I'm something on on the preaching desk up here. I don't know if Vince spit on this or what. I'll have to come back and get this off. I mean... All right, um, number four, be patient. I'm just trying to, trying to make sure you're all with, everybody's still with me? Okay, good. Mike, are you with me in the back? Yeah, oh, good, all right. Um, I did not see this coming. Verse one and verse 21, I want you to link those two. See if you can see the connection between verse one and verse 21 with regard to patience because we didn't read all the way to 21 in verse 1 Paul says my desire my heart's desire and my prayer to God for, for Israel is that is that she may be saved my people that my people may be saved my heart's desire he's he's lining up his heart's desire with God's desire that's what prayer is by the way right learning to line my desire up with God's desire, so, so my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. And look at verse 21, he's been building this case. They've heard, but they haven't believed. And yet in verse 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I've, all day long, I have continued to hold out my hands to a people who will not hear, to a disobedient people. The reason Paul is going to both the Jews and the Gentiles the, the reason Paul will keep preaching, speaking, voicing, courting, embracing, you know, just trying to win. Oh, I'll do anything I can to get my brothers to see the gospel. Like my people. The reason Paul's willing to do this is because he's learned from God to be patient in bringing the gospel to people all day long. My heart's desire, like, what's going to keep you in the game? The patience of God. Are you, are you glad that God was patient with you? You. Not just with me. Are you glad that God was patient, is patient with you? See, if you you start to grasp how patient God has been with you, you're going to have a hard time turning around and going back out into the world and barking at people and being frustrated at them and demanding that they respond to the gospel now. 
See, that, that's the only way to get there. Don't ever forget this one fact, writes the Apostle Peter, that with the, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So the Lord's not being slow to fulfill His promise to come again. He's coming. He's not being slow. He's delayed His return because of His patience, Peter says. Because of His patience, not wanting any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is what Paul's got working in verse 1 and verse 21. As you, as you think about the whole chapter, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for, is, is for Israel to be saved. God has not given up on Israel. And he hasn't given up on me. And he hasn't given up on you. And he hasn't given up on the unbelieving world that he has placed the church in to witness to patience with the world. Listen, I want you to hear this this morning. Patience with the world is not accommodating the world. Patience with the world is not excusing the world. Patience in the world is not turning, you know, turning a blind eye to their sin. That's not what it is. Patience is grounded in the character of God. I think that's what Paul's discovering here. All day long, all day long I've held out my hands. God, unending patience. And not just for you to get saved, but patience with you to discover Christ-likeness. Man, that'll, that's convicting. Has God been patient with you in discovering Christ-likeness? All right, here's the, here's the last thing. So these are, the, these are five, the last thing is that it's beautiful. Evangelism is beautiful. These are five, these are five um, I think five ways in which we see evangelism at work and five characteristics of evangelism that should mark our lives. Here's the fifth one. It's beautiful. Evangelism is beautiful. This is a great verse, verse 15. Some of you recognize this verse. You know, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was in Romans 10. That's where it is, Romans 10, right? So verse 15 and he's quoting Isaiah. He says, how are they to preach unless they're sent? So, okay, we're not just talking about preachers, Sunday morning preachers, we're talking about disciples who can go and speak the gospel. It includes all of us. How are they to preach unless they're sent? And he says, oh, you know, that, that reminds me of Isaiah. There's this great line in Isaiah, so he weaves it right in. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers, of those who preach the good news. So as we interpret verse 15, let's just all agree that there's nothing beautiful about feet, right? He's gotta have something else in mind. I was talking to a church member who recently told me, she said I had a double bunionectomy. Got a couple bunions removed. I'm like, welcome to the ministry. This is what pastors do. <laughs> all right, I hear you, I feel you. We got some ugly feet. 
There's nothing beautiful about feet. You would expect him to say how beautiful is the face that's been changed by Christ. You expect him to say how beautiful are the eyes that see gospel hope. Or the mouth that voices gospel promise. But that's not what he says. He says, how beautiful are the feet. What is he talking about? What he's talking about is that the gospel is a beautiful message. And what makes these feet beautiful is that they carry the gospel message to new places. They carry the gospel message to new places. The gospel advancing is what's beautiful. The gospel advancing to new territory through these messengers is what's beautiful. It crosses another mountaintop. It crosses another state line. It moves to another unreached people. Like think of how the gospel goes from one person to the next person and, and how important it is for the gospel to go to someone else, for a group to multiply, for a church to multiply, for your own personal voice to multiply. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So he's got this yeah, there's preaching going on, but they got to get there first. So he's, he's emphasizing that they're going somewhere, and that's a beautiful thing about gospel advance. So, so think of the classic scene in literature or in movies when the messenger shows up just in the nick of time before the execution. And they get the note, and like, what? And they pass the note down, what? And... And somebody walks up to the noose and cuts the noose and the guy drops down. He's like, I get to live? I mean, he's guilty. He's expecting to hang. Or the firing squad puts their guns down immediately and everybody's like, what? The, the image I have here is that this messenger arrives just in the nick of time with amazing good news. It's only good news if there was bad news first. You're guilty. But then comes the good news. Somebody has pardoned you. How did I go free? Somebody paid for it. Somebody has pardoned you. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment when just in the nick of time, this person comes from somewhere else into this moment and says, I got good news. Like all the stuff, and this is what I'm trying to tell you, you can do this week with your friends and your coworkers and your family. All this stuff, all this clamoring about righteousness, all this stuff, and all the, all the guilt, all the, like there, there's some good news, by the way. If every disciple of Jesus is willing to discover his or her preaching voice, there would be a beautiful gospel advance they would just kind of crawl one step at a time all throughout our neighborhoods and our county and our state, and it would be amazing and beautiful to see the, the gospel being voiced in ways that only you, only you can do it. It would be just as silly for me to try to, 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 to speak your gospel voice in your context as it would be for me to stand up here on Sunday morning and do what I, do what I did a few minutes ago. It's your voice, not mine. It's your voice, not hers. It's your voice, not his. And when you start to feel this, 
Like this is, this is what Christians do. Real Christian discipleship says, okay, I, I do have something to say. Jesus is at work inside of me. And I, Lord, I, I didn't never thought about my feet as being beautiful. But I'm willing to carry it. I'm willing to carry the message to someone who's never heard. I want to pray for us to find our voice as a church, as groups, and as individuals. And if you're here today and you're sorting through this and you're like, hey, I, I need the good news. I want to talk more about Christ. We would love to talk with you after the service. We'll be here in the commons mingling in socially distanced ways. And we would love to talk more with you about how you can trust in Jesus today and how you can have new life and be set free and hear the good news. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing in response. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your patience with me. Lord, help us to be patient. And we also pray that you'd help us to, to be willing to move, willing to go, willing to be messengers whose, whose feet become beautiful when we carry the gospel. God, make these things characteristic of our heart for people uh, that, that we would desire that they be saved, that we would be patient, that we'd be persuasive, that we would take the gospel, that we, Lord, that the fear of what would happen in that conversation, that you would take care of that, and that we would humbly, gently, but clearly, voice what Jesus has done for us. This we pray in Christ's name. Let's sing in response. Will you sing with us?